Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste 360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Liz Doswell from Waste 360 with Matt Carmel, attorney from Riker Danzig Environmental Law. Welcome, Matt, and thanks for being on the show today. Thank you very much. It's really exciting to be here on this podcast with you. So, Matt, we usually start at the beginning. So if you could just tell us a little bit about your background and what sparked your interest in sustainability. Absolutely. So I've been practicing uh, environmental law for Riker Danzig uh, Law Firm for a little while now. And um, a lot of what we do is focused on regulatory compliance, site remediation, in other words, the remediation of contaminated sites, and other more traditional, you know, protective actions. You know, how do we address a a harm to the environment? How do we prevent a harm to the environment in in a more traditional setting? And one of the things that I've started to think about is going through that practice is, you know, what else can we do just to, you know, affect change to support sustainable businesses? Um, it's, 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 I think we've all heard the, the, the comment that, you know, you vote with your dollar a million times a day. And I started to think, you know, how can I vote with my time as well? And, and that has drawn me within the environmental law field to focusing on things that I view as more sustainable. Um, and so through some different fits and starts and, and thinking about it and trying to figure, it, figure out how to uh, be involved with more projects like that, um, there was an opportunity a, a couple years ago um, when Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey signed legislation setting a food waste reduction goal in New Jersey, 50% reduction by 2030. And at that moment, it was clear that food waste was going to start taking off in New Jersey, not just because of the sort of national policy and impact discussion that was going on, but because we had some different stars aligning in New Jersey and I said, okay, this is my shot. <laughs> this is my shot to start do to start doing the things in my in my, in my everyday that I, I, I'm interested in doing. The way the way to try to vote more with my career in a sustainable way. Um, and so, you know, it was like any good journey. Uh, a lot of different steps, a lot of different talking to people and thinking about things and. Then you know, having a lot of other, a lot of different opportunities, and in some instances, creating opportunities to work on the issue, to be involved in the issue, and uh, I'm, I'm very lucky to have had those opportunities over the last couple of years, and, and, and that brings me, I think, closer to today, which is, which is, you know, starting working with, 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 with the, really, you know staying involved with food waste and and now it's really become such a major issue in New Jersey 
where you have, you know, dozens of pieces of legislation over the past year that have been that have been targeting um, food food recovery, food waste, culminating in uh, Governor Murphy signing uh, the New Jersey food waste recycling legislation um, in early April, um, which will require commercial generators to source, separate, and recycle food waste. Well, I think that's a, a long answer to your question, but. Um, I could go a lot longer too. <laughs> it's something that I'm passionate about and excited <laughs> about, so it's easy to do so. Oh, I love that you're so passionate about it, and it does come through. And and speaking of what Governor Murphy just signed, I know that you have recently written about that on Waste 360. Can you dive a little bit more into that, like what it means for the waste generators and and um, moving forward and trying to enact it? Absolutely. So. The law has several different components. Um, the main component that the article focuses on and that I think most people care about is what I'll call a commercial food waste recycling mandate. And what that means is there's certain large quantity food waste generators that are going to be required to source, separate, and recycle food waste in certain instances. Now, there's a whole bunch of caveats <laughs> and, and wiggle room in what I just said, and, and that gets to, okay, that sort of short sentence is easy and understandable, but at the same time, what does it mean? Who is subject? And, and really, how are we going to implement it? And that's where we are standing with the food waste recycling legislation, standing at the point where it has now been signed into law, and we have, I think, the industry is trying to get a handle on what are the questions that we need to ask, and what are the gaps in the legislation, and once we sort of put those questions on the table, we can start to figure this out, um, because the, the mandate itself doesn't go into effect until 18 months uh, from its signing, so that's October 2021. And so we have a little bit of time. That's not forever in the regulatory landscape. It's actually a decently tight window to get all the things in place that we're talking about. But you know, we're at we're in a sense at step one of okay, we have this law. Let's figure out what we need to do to implement it. Right. And I know that, like you said, there are a ton of questions that will come out of this and that um, need to be worked through. But can the food waste recycling infrastructure keep up with the increased food waste that will come once this is all rolled out? So the answer in the short term is it depends how you define food waste recycling infrastructure. Um, so in New Jersey, it typically takes 12 to 24 months to permit and site a full-blown uh, commercial scale uh, composting or anaerobic digestion facility. C can take longer, um, but so that's, that's sort of the lead time for that type of facility. And so there are only four fully permitted commercial scale um, composting and anaerobic digestion digestion facilities in New Jersey right now. So certainly those four can't accommodate all of the waste being generated in New Jersey, which by the way, one estimate from the DEP, uh, the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection, 
is that there's 1.3, 1.4 million tons of food waste being generated every year and sent to landfills and incinerators. So that gives you a size of the scope. Certainly four facilities are not, not taking care of that yet. Um, but, but so it will be difficult, if not impossible, to expand that infrastructure in 18 months. That doesn't mean we shouldn't get started, uh, because we should. Uh, but that number also misses out on a couple other things. Uh, the four facilities, there are other facilities in New Jersey that operate on a smaller scale under different types of permits. And then we can sort of talk about, okay, well, there are on-site uh, food waste recycling options that don't require the permit the same way or require slightly different permits. And so it, it, there are more quickly scaling technologies that we can use and practices. So, I mean, to be entirely optimistic about it, if we really wanted to process all of our food waste in 18 months in New Jersey, we could do it. <laughs> in this regulatory landscape, but it would be a patchwork of all of the different technologies and processes, um, including sort of more non-traditional things like uh, food, food waste upcycling, which there are several interesting projects uh, around the area that are, that are getting off the ground. Um, so it's one of those things, the infrastructure, the physical infrastructure doesn't yet exist, but it, it, it's kind of, it's possible that we could get there if we were creative and driven and, and working that way. And it's my hope that we're gonna do as good a job as we can. And that's, I think, all the industry really can do is, is we've got this target and you know let's work towards it. Let's get as many facilities permitted as we can in a, in a safe and responsible manner. And let's see what other options are there out there and figure out, you know, can we, are there on-site options that work for specific generators? Are there food donation options that work for different generators? Because food donation is such an important part of this. And, and I mean, of that 1.3 million tons that we were talking about, estimates range that is between 40 and 60% uh, edible. So uh, it, it's all of these different solutions that make up the infrastructure, but <laughs> at, at, its, at its core, the infrastructure is not there yet, at least. Uh, we just would have to see how we can get it there. Right. <laughs> well, and I like your optimistic outlook. That always helps because you have to work towards something, right? Exactly. Because there's a lot of very intelligent, very nice people, <laughs> people, who, people who, who embrace this vision working towards this goal. And so it's something that I, I feel confident being optimistic in. And then is there a good program in another state that's the perfect example of, of how to do this? I think it's a function of borrowing what works from other states. Um, because I think, you know, each state has some, has some specific considerations and concerns and, and different things. New Jersey is a, such a highly densely populated state. I know we have areas that are less densely populated, um, but it's it's just there's so many different factors that it's hard to pull from one program, but um, for instance, New York State is sending out letters 
to generators that might be subject to the New York food waste recycling mandate and taking that affirmative step of, of, of selecting those people and telling them that they, they might be subject. That's something that I think probably would be good to borrow and is one of the questions for implementation of this legislation, which is how are people going to know if they're subject? I mean, the average business is not tracking its food waste. And to be one of the sort of gates for being subject to the legislation is generating 52 tons or more per year of food waste. So if people aren't tracking it, how do they know they're in it? And that's where I think guidance and following that New York model would probably be helpful. Absolutely. And then to your point about talking with the waste generators, is there a whole education side of things for them that will help this go smoothly? So that's something that's being discussed extensively now. There is a little bit in the legislation about requiring the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection to provide some guidance. Um, and I know that the New Jersey Composting Council and other groups, uh, the Association of New Jersey Recyclers, Sustainable Jersey City, you know, a lot of people who are involved in this and supported the legislation are thinking about how to advise businesses because, I mean, we don't want this to be a, <laughs> a, a big lift for businesses. I mean, we under, it is a new requirement. Um, and so with any new requirement, we want to try to make everyone understand how easy it can be. And so that's something that's, that's ongoing, and we're trying to figure out how to make this as simple for business as possible. Great. And then, Matt, do you think that the pandemic is, is pushing the industry and, and consumers in general to focus more on food waste? I do. I mean, I think that there is. I think that there are a lot of initiatives and thoughts. And, I mean, and lots of articles with new statistics coming out about how much food is being wasted at this point in time. I mean, we're all at home now, seeing our waste in a much more con constrained way. In normal life, you're at the office for a couple hours, you're home for a couple hours, you're at a restaurant for dinner. I think we're all seeing our waste in a different way than we have in the past. Um, every, every kitchen scrap is now sitting in your garbage pail instead of the garbage pail at the restaurant. So I think we're getting a better understanding of, of, of what our waste impact is. And I, I'm hopeful that that, will, that increased awareness will uh, help drive people to understand the environmental impact of food waste and what their, how their actions can, can really address that issue. Um, but at the same time, um, COVID-19 does sort of create that uncertainty in, okay, is this, this is an additional interaction. Food waste is, is either composted. Uh, I mean, one, one, two options are you compost it in your backyard or you have a pickup service that comes and picks up your food waste. And um, there are certainly safe uh, ways to do that in the current situation. And there are operators in New Jersey that are doing it. Um, but as I said, it, it's an additional interaction with the world that some people aren't going to be comfortable with, um, at least at this time. So there's both of those things, I think, pushing and pulling against us, um, in addition to the, the uh, economic issues associated with the pandemic. And that it, it, as wallets get tighter, uh, people don't necessarily spend for the things that they would spend for at different times. Definitely. 
And then you're mentioning the New Jersey Composting Council. Were you a founder of that? I was. That was one of the, as I said at the beginning, you know, a journey has a bunch of different steps and it, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, an evolving thing. And I do say I've been on a sustainability and food waste journey over the last couple of years. Um, so this, the food, New Jersey Composting Council's origin story, <laughs> so to speak, uh, begins at a, another New Jersey zero waste event um, where a couple of us met and we're talking about organics and we're specifically, you know, disappointed with some of the more mainstream views of you can't get organics recycling to take off in New Jersey. It's just not going to happen. And, and because that was sort of being that was included in the mainstream dialogue at that event. And so there were, I would say, about eight of us who got together and said, you know, this is something we need. How can we do it? We have a couple organizations in New Jersey that are focused on um, focused on recycling and focused on waste, but no one that's really taking care of the organics recycling industry. Um, and, and we had some really great other founding members, uh, Jairo Gonzalez, Isaac Berg, Java and Michelle Bradley. And, and we sort of all banded together and we were very lucky to have the infrastructure support of the U.S. Composting Council and Linda Norris-Walt and Frank Franciosi and they sort of gave us the structure to figure this out and make it work. And we had we had a lot of people come together, like Ryan Serrato from Denali, uh, We Care Organics, um, and 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 many others to to make this happen. And the response was immediate <laughs> and exciting. And we had uh, we had a we had our first annual organic summit in New Jersey last fall and we had over a hundred attendees. So it was just a nice, a nice thing to see. And we're getting people engaged. As I said a couple of minutes ago, it's a small industry in New Jersey at this point, um, especially if you focus on the food waste side of it and it's growing and there are a lot of regulatory hurdles, but we're getting there slowly by slowly. We're building an industry consensus and, and working through those issues. Good for you. That's fantastic. I've read that you have a knack for helping clients navigate tough environmental issues. I mean, there's just so many moving parts of government, different stakeholders to keep happy and everyone's individual agendas. What's the secret, Matt? <laughs> what is the secret? That, that's a, that's a great question. So I think the secret is being as informed as possible, being as creative as possible, but then also being as grounded as possible. So informed, creative, and grounded, because then you can make the right decisions and guide people in the right way. Um, I mean, because each project is different, so you want to bring a wide variety of knowledge and, and, and understanding to it. But you also want to say, okay, so this has worked in the past. Maybe we'll try it here. But you need to be able to adapt in the moment. So I think that it does come down to creativity a lot and creativity that is, you know, sourced in reason and judgment and experience. But it, 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 is, it is difficult and it can be frustrating for people because it's a, it's a high, food waste, 
environmental. They're very complicated fields of law, and, and sometimes I refer to them as esoteric because, you know, if we have just a couple businesses doing each thing, then it's not like there is a huge market for this where we can or where there's a lot of resources. It, it's really a lot more case by case basis and figuring it out. That makes it difficult too. Definitely. Well, it sounds like you have the answer. So I think a lot of people could learn from you. And then you, like you said earlier, you've been doing this a little while. Are you happy with what you've seen, um, you know, in the last few years or close to a decade around sustainability, whether that's from a legal perspective or consumer? Like, do you feel like progress is being made? I guess I'm more comfortable saying that I feel like momentum is building. I think progress is being made. Um, and, and I think progress is a nonlinear concept. So progress means one step forward, two steps back, three steps forward. It, 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 it changes in different kinds of things. As, as a lawyer and someone who's thinking of this, you know, how can the legal field support sustainability? I think that discussion is in, I would say, earlier stages. It's kind of piecemeal. There are a lot of different ways that the legal field supports sustainability. Um, and I, I, for instance, like within advertising law, there's the concepts of, of you know, advising businesses on environmental claims. And then within more regulatory work, there's helping businesses get permits for sustainable activities. And then there's more reporting work of, of making sustainable reports and making sure those things are compliant. And, and so what I'm trying to really drive home is that the legal field supports sustainability in so many siloed ways. And it can be hard to get a comprehensive picture of, okay, um, for instance, no one would bat an eye if I called myself an environmental lawyer, but people will go, well, what do you do if I were to call myself a sustainability lawyer? Um, and, and so to that extent, I think the legal field is at, its, is, at its, is at its early stages. But, you know, one of the things that really encourages me is, one, all the statistics coming out about how many people, consumers, are willing to pay for sustainability whether it's in a restaurant setting or in a product setting or something else, and then how many mission-driven businesses are showing up, B Corp certified businesses that say, you know, I'm going to make the environment part of my bottom line um, and make that leap, which is so important to, I mean, we want to align consumer interests with sustainability, but we also want to, uh, want to align business interests with sustainability. And so those businesses that are finding a way to create mission-driven, sustainable businesses uh, really give me a lot of hope that we're attacking it from both sides. That's great. And I think that's a good point about the momentum. There does seem to be a momentum shift in that companies are seeing that by doing good, they do profit, right? So I think once those monetary connections are made too, you, you'll see that swing in the other direction as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, and I mean, there's, there's even, I mean, the amount of money that's under sustainable, the, the amount of capital that is committed to some form of sustainable 
investing is growing every year and is tremendous. So it's a shifting tide if it hasn't shifted already. Absolutely. And so I know we talked a lot about the, the pandemic and food waste. Is there anything that you hope that we all remember coming out of this, whether it's around food waste or sustainability in general? Yeah, there is something that, that I hope we, we all remember from this. And I think it's, it's not always easy, but it is possible to change human behavior overnight. Um, and so many of the solutions, the climate solutions that we talk about are about changing human behavior. And we did it. <laughs> not for a reason that we wanted to, um, but we did it overnight. So we can do anything. And it's a matter of trying to figure out, okay, what do we want to do and how are we going to do it? And what trade-offs are we willing to make in making that thing? I think everyone will admit very easily, I mean, that we are all making trade-offs today as a result of the pandemic. We are all dealing with situations that are difficult. And whether that's personal, emotional, or economic, or environmental, whatever it is, we're all dealing with something difficult. And that's a trade-off that we've made as a result of this situation. And looking forward, we are going to be able to change human behavior, but what trade-offs are we going to make? How do we evaluate them? So that's both the you know, optimistic side and sort of also the, the jarring side. Can you even believe that we've all made this major change overnight? Um, it, it, it seems sort of, unimaginable sometimes that when I look at the calendar and say, oh, I've been working from home for over a month. Um, I never thought for a million years I'd be working home from home for over a month. But here we are adjusting, learning, doing, and, and, and getting through this together. So true. So Matt, what's next for you? You've accomplished so much already. What's on your list? Um, you know, I have a, I have a, I have a couple things uh, on my list. Um, I want to keep working with more sustainable businesses. I mean, that's that's what I've set out as my, you know, personal professional professional goal um, to advise those businesses and help them to grow and succeed um, and really develop personal strong relationships with those businesses and, and and more importantly the people who run them and the people who are who support them um, because that's what i believe in and where i want to be that's fantastic well matt i loved having this conversation you've i love that you're putting so much energy and brain power behind this and um you're going to make the world a better place because of it. So thank you so much. And I look forward to keeping in touch. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Talk soon.